Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right. The college football countdown continues. It's Texas State this weekend. We're not counting down to Texas State. Well, maybe you are, but I'm not. And if I'm not, we're not. It'd just be a you thing. But I don't think you are either. However... That first weekend in November has my full attention. The Aggies are going to play on Thursday. The Cougars are going to play on Friday. The Utes are going to play on Saturday. It's go time. All right, we're going to start off with Kyle Whittingham. His media availability, another player transferring. What does Kyle think of that? Here's Kyle Whittingham on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Kyle, I just want to see if, if you had a comment on you, you, you had another guy enter the portal in uh, TJ Green. Yeah, TJ uh, has been here, uh, I think this is his fourth season coming up. Uh, great teammate, uh, did everything we asked him while he was in this program, and, and uh, he'll be getting his degree in December, which is the most important thing. And uh, then he's decided to, uh, once he gets his degree, uh, move on. And he's obviously not going to finish this, you know, or begin the season, I guess, with us, and he's going to uh, look for uh, other places to play. and. And so we wish him well. Uh, wasn't uh, getting as many reps as he'd hoped. You know, we got those four guys ahead of him: uh, Jordan Wilmore and uh, Devin Brumfield, Ty Jordan, Makai Bernard. Not necessarily in that order, but uh, all those guys were getting more reps than TJ, and and uh, just wanted an opportunity where he could be, uh, you know, have an opportunity to be uh, more of a, a factor. And so we wish him well. And uh, I believe he's got two more years of eligibility, and you know, with the with the freeze that's going on now. So, so he's uh, a great kid, and again, very proud of him for for uh, getting his degree. And uh, we wish him all the best. Josh Newman, followed by Chris Kimrani of the Athletic. Kyle, good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, just to follow that up on a personal level, look, you recruited TJ for a reason and he chose you guys for a reason. You know, you put a lot of time into him on a personal level. Is it, is it tough to see guys like that transfer out of your program, guys who did the right things like that? Well, he's looking for a, an opportunity to maybe be able to have more playing time. So you can't really fault him. I mean, he's, he's uh, done everything we've asked him. He's got his degree and, and are getting his degree in a month and a half. And so, uh, you know, wish wish he would have stayed. You know, he's, he's a great kid, but uh, that would be a selfish uh, point of view because if he's going to have a chance to play more somewhere else and be, uh, you know, realize his goals, then uh, I'm all for it. So it's, it, it is bittersweet, but, but uh, a guy that comes in and for nearly four years, three and a half years, does everything he's asked to do, uh, does you know, gets take care of the academics. Uh, you know, he's, he's done his part, so we wish him well. And just to follow that up real quick, as you see games going on across the country, you know, we are seeing some outbreaks in spots. Games are getting postponed. Games are getting canceled. As you get ready to start your own season, what can be learned from things that are going on around the country in terms of COVID and, uh, and safety? Well, I guess we can learn there's a good chance that some of our games will get canceled and postponed as well. And, you know, the, the Pac-12 is, is cranking up uh, – what, two weeks from Saturday, uh, it would be tremendous. We can get all the games in that are scheduled. Not sure if that's realistic, but uh, you just got to do the best you can to uh, mitigate the, the virus and, and take every precaution, and we're doing that, and just hope for the best. I mean, it's, a, it's an invisible virus, I mean, which 
you can't uh, completely be 100% safeguarded against it. But I think we're doing uh, a lot of good things, trying to uh, stay healthy. And, and so far, so good. So we hope that continues. Chris, I guess all the pieces are invisible. Is that right? <laughs> Chris Camarani, followed by Dirk Facer of the Deseret News. Kyle, what does a 100% Britain Cubby uh, add to this version of the 2020 Utah offense? Oh, he has a, a bunch, and not only to the offense, but to the uh, return game and special teams. His value there is uh, tremendous for us. And he was, in our opinion, the best return guy in the country his freshman year. Uh, he's pump return, and, and we think he's going to be just as good this year, if not better. And so that's uh, that's a huge positive force. Then, uh, from an offensive perspective, having him healthy and, and uh, his quickness and speed is returned makes uh, him a, a, a very viable and valuable weapon for Coach Ludwig. And he's going to move around in a lot of different spots and get the ball a lot of different ways. And so it'll be a, a, a big part of what we're doing offensively. Next, Dirk Facer, followed by Sammy Moore with the Daily Utah Chronicle. Good morning, Kyle. How are you? Good, Dirk. Thanks. Good. Hey, um, Britt and Kevy and players from the other Pac-12 South teams are doing a Zoom conference with the Pac-12 today. I wonder if you could just make a general statement about the division and the fact you've won it twice. Imagine, do you feel like you've got a big red X on your back? Well, you know, we have uh, won it back-to-back, as you mentioned, and, and – uh, this year, we're, we're not picked to win it, so I'm not sure if we got the target on our back or, or whatever. But, but uh, we're, our goal is to, is to try to do it again. And as I've said many times, try to win that Pac-12 championship game, which we've been uh, unable to do the last couple of years. But, but uh, I know Britt will do a great job representing us. Uh, the Pac-12 South is, is going to be competitive. Uh, I guess SC has, has been chosen number one in the South to uh, uh, to win it, so we'll see what happens. But, but uh, you know, we had a lot of a lot of good young talent in the program, and, and we're trying to get them ready as fast as we can. And Kyle, second question: I'm just going to ask you with the uh, um, season coming up and all that with the scrimmage on Saturday. Do you pare things down from the first scrimmage? Are you reducing the number of guys that are going to get reps, and maybe just talk about the difference between scrimmage one and scrimmage two, and what you want to accomplish? Thank you. Uh, that, that, that will be the case. We'll have a uh, few guys get reps. Every single guy got reps uh, the first scrimmage. Everybody that's in the program that's healthy and, and able to do so uh, got an opportunity to show what they can do. Uh, the scrimmage format will be very similar this week, a lot of situational work, uh, but there won't be an opportunity for every guy to get reps. We, we've scaled it down, as you said, and uh, focusing on the guys that are going to be on the travel squad, at least the projected uh, travel squad is still not completely solidified we've got uh, some, some battles going on but, but uh we need it too after after watching the scrimmage in its entirety there's a lot of good things but painfully obvious that we've got a lot of work to do and uh not a lot of time to get it done uh, yesterday we had some good live work as well in, in the practice which uh, was a step forward for us and so we'll continue to uh get those live reps it's a, it's a stark contrast from last year's team last year's team we did very few live reps and we did not go live much at all during fall camp. This year's team needs hundreds of live reps, and so we're trying to get that uh, uh, accomplished and keep them healthy at the same time. It's a, it's a balancing act, but uh, we're going to need every every one of these next 
because it's 16 days. We probably fly 16, 17 days. Sammy Mora, followed by Josh Furlong, KSLSports.com. Hi, Coach. So you've already addressed Britton Covey as the punt returner, but with the departure of Jalen Dixon, who has been taking those second-team reps in the punt return game? That's a combination of several people, Ty Jordan, Samson Nakua, Money Parks, uh, Clark Phillips. So we have four or five guys. There's another guy or two that's been uh, working back there. You can never have too many returners. We try to develop a whole stable of returners so we don't get caught shorthanded there. But, but right now, that decision has not been made. But those are the guys that, that uh, are battling for the number two and three uh, punt return uh, spots. And, and we'll see how that shakes out in the next couple of weeks. But uh, hopefully Britain stays healthy and we don't have to get to that point. Josh Furlong, followed by Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Kyle, you've always put uh, a big emphasis on the education aspect of, of being a student athlete, but this, this summer the NCAA moved to um, make sure that the student athletes had more of an opportunity to vote um, on November 3rd. And talk about that with like how, how your program is, is embracing that, especially maybe with some of the social change aspects that, that took place over the summer and, and why that's important. Well, we're certainly encouraging every one of them to vote, and we're not going to be doing uh, anything on that day. It's going to be a day off for them, and I think that's uh, throughout the Pac-12 and maybe throughout the nation. I'm not sure exactly uh, how that's being handled. I know the Pac-12, though, is, is uh, mandating that uh, we don't do anything that day. And so is that right, Paul? Yeah, okay, I'm right on that for once. And so uh, it's obviously very important, and we want our guys to uh, – to be active and be uh, have their voice and, and make an impact. And, and so we're, we've already done all the uh, registration stuff for voting. And, and uh, so we should be ready to roll and hopefully they take advantage of it. We can't, we're not going to you know, put them in our car and drive them to the, to the polls or whatever, but they're, they're encouraged to vote. And I think most of them will. I think most of them will. Our final two will come from Bill Riley and Chris Camrani. Kyle, can you give us an update on the uh, place-kicking battle between Jordan Noyes and, and Jaden Redding? And did you see, you know, as, as one guy jumped out in front, do you feel confident about one or the other or both? Well, it's a, it's a battle still, and uh, it was a, a four-way battle. Initially, earlier in, the, in fall camp, it's down to two guys. Um, Jordan, obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but he has the stronger leg of the two. He's, he's got great trajectory, great range, not as polished as Jaden. Uh, Jordan is more of a soccer background, uh, came to us from uh, over in London and very little, in fact, zero football experience. And so it's all new to him. It took him a while to get used to having shoulder pads and, and football pants on. It was really bothering him for a while during the helmet, but, but he's uh, subsequently gotten used to that. But uh, I would say Jordan, uh, more range, higher trajectory, a little stronger leg. Jaden, more polished, uh, gets the ball off a little bit quicker. Uh, a little more accurate right now. And so that battle will continue, and that can continue all the way up until game day if, if it needs to be. And we got to just make sure we get the right guy. And then once we think we got the right guy, we'll find out. We'll give him a couple opportunities. And if, he's, uh, if he gets it done, then, then great. Uh, last year we had a, you know, Jaden wasn't our guy going into the season, but when we had a couple of kicks that uh, should have been made. Jaden uh, got his opportunity and made the most of it and ended up making darn near 80% of his kicks, I believe, was like 10 out of 13, which was in the top third of the uh, Pac-12. So Jaden's uh, success last year 
also helps them this year that that counts, you know, which did last year counts because you've done it in game situations. Jordan Noyes has never kicked in a game situation, so although the stadium will be empty, so it won't be like like normal. But uh, those uh, short version still ongoing, and we hope to have it settled by. Uh, well, we'll have it settled. We'll know who's going to kick on Saturday uh, the seventh, at least by Friday the sixth. How about that? And a quick follow up: What'd you shoot at Pebble? What did I shoot at Pebble? I shot eighty-seven. I was proud of myself <laughs> last year. You know? On the tips? No, the, the uh, next one up. Not the tips. The next one up. So. We'll conclude with Chris Camerani of the Athletic. Kyle, how did you guys find Jordan? I know in his bio online he says he's related to Matt Gay, um, so I, I assume that there's a connection there, but. I know you guys have gone to Australia to find punters, but I think this might be the first time you guys have gone across the, the pond the other way to find a kicker. Yeah, well, he, he kind of fell in our lap. Just as you said, he's he's uh, he's the uh, brother-in-law of Matt Gay, so that was the connection. Matt was telling us about Jordan and, and uh, giving us uh, the info and, and telling us they had a strong leg and it was really raw and had potential, and, and so he uh, decided to come over and, and give it a go. And uh, he's uh, done very well so far. I mean, he's he's got all the the uh, potential of, of you know really a big time kicker and even maybe an NFL kicker. He's got he's got a stronger leg than Matt had actually. And so uh, he's a guy that's got a lot of upside. But again, we've got some refining to do and some some technique things that he's working on. But uh, he has a, a big upside, and we're hoping that uh, he can you know realize his potential. Get to, get to the place we think he can get to. Did he offer up you guys some some film to look at, Kyle, just as a quick follow-up, or did, did you just have to take Matt's word, word, yeah, word just, on it? He just walked on. He just walked on and gave it a go. We did take Matt's word. That was really the, uh, the, the main reason and, and why we brought him in is because Matt vouched for him and had kicked with him. And, and so, you know, Matt, he's a, he's a guy that knows, knows the deal and is, knows what a good kicker looks like, so we, we trust him. There's Utah football coach Kyle Winningham. If you want to hear all the Ute availabilities, they're all up at uh, 1280thezone.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're talking Cougars with David Nixon, the former linebacker, former NFL guy, former BYU guy, and now on BYU TV. David Nixon coming up next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst, former BYU linebacker. Joining us now on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. DJ, how's it going? It's going well. You better say hello to PK or he's going to haunt you the whole interview. Well, here's the thing. With PK, I never know if he's on or not. He's always doing remote stuff from his houses. He's out golfing. I never know if he's co-hosting or if he's just taking another day off. Wow. Another day off. What am I, a retired NFL player? (laughs) Oh, nice. You're an entrepreneur. (laughs) 
Uh, hey, do you know what his do you know what his nickname for Lone Peak High is? Have you ever heard that? No, I should know because I got my nephews that play there. What is it? Hit him, Alpine. <laughs> Solid, fitting as well. <laughs> BYU Alpine. That always cracks me up. All right, let's get to BYU Provo. And I think the thing that most people want to know about the Houston game, you know, is a nice start and they're up 14-3 and Houston takes control of the game. And a year ago, I think most people agree, BYU loses that game. Do they turn that around because they have more talent? Do they turn that around because they have more experience? They've been in that situation. Are they turning that around because they're better coached or because there's more trust between the coaches and the players and they can all pull together You know, when the game's hanging in the balance? Or does it really go to some, some basic flaws with Houston and it was a good matchup for BYU and they just they cashed in on those and and in another situation against another team, they wouldn't have gotten it done. How many of those things are true? Which are most important? Why did that game turn around? Because that was weird to give up a 23 unanswered points and then score 29 unanswered points. Yeah, I think it's literally, I think it's a testament to kind of all of what you mentioned in the sense that we've seen this BYU team, in fact, the same thing you have against UTSA where they were struggling and, and a BYU team in the past might just fold. Uh, but this team with the veteran leadership that they have, uh, and I think what they understand with what they have on the line, I think these guys rallied around each other at halftime uh, and they're specifically in the fourth quarter and just said enough is enough. Um, but I really have to give credit. I mean, I think Kalani and his staff have taken a lot of heat over the years, uh, you know, specifically with the – we've talked about the bad losses they've had uh, the last two or three years. I think they deserve a lot of credit in this game, uh, particularly on the defense side of the ball. It's been well noted now, but – BYU switched to man defense, uh, man-to-man defense there in the second half. It completely shut down uh, the Houston offense. I mean, you've seen the stat, five drives. Their last five drives that Houston had, they produced eight total yards. I mean, it's just incredible. It's incredible what BYU is able to do. Um, and a lot of it was due to, to man-to-man defense. I went back and watched the whole second half in particular, the whole, the whole game defensively. Uh, but I paid close attention to that second half. And they went man-to-man on the outside. You saw Chris Wilcox. Um, defeating their best receiver, Stevenson. But then what happened is they kept the linebackers that comboed the running backs. So they kept them inside the box, which is what was hurting BYU in the first half. The linebackers were having to walk outside the box uh, to be able to get to their zone drops. And doing so, Houston was able to gash them with the run. So uh, the, the adjustment second half was go man-to-man, bring the backers inside the box, go to a four-man front. So they took out Max Tooley, who was kind of that fourth uh, defensive end, and, you know, the defensive end, that fourth down lineman, and substitute him with Alden Topa, who's a true defensive end, and that made a huge difference as well. So, got to give credit to the coaches. I know this is something that uh, a lot of BYU fans give them slack for is they struggle to make adjustments during the game. Uh, and it was nice to see and very refreshing to see him go out there and make that big time adjustment to switch to man. Uh, and you saw Kalani mention the post game. He goes, listen, a lot of people around here say that BYU can't run man to man. He's like, well, we proved that wrong tonight. You could tell there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder uh, that they uh, that he was he with him making that comment, uh, but it worked. And to his credit, it worked. And here's the thing: going forward for this BYU defense, in particular, if you're an opposing offensive coordinator, good luck, right? I mean, now now you got to face BYU's own defense that we know is produce, produce results, the whole drop eight, but also they've shown on film they can they can uh, roll out a man-to-man defense and be effective at that as well. So, uh, credit to the coaches, credit to the players for for sticking with it, because obviously on the road uh, against a tough Houston team, it's, it's easy to get down and just kind of mail, mail it in and 
pack it in and call it good. But the team bounced back, like you said, uh, you know, 29 audience or points. I don't care who you're playing against. That's pretty impressive to rally off that many, that many points in a row. What does a healthy Chris Wilcox mean for this defense? Man, it's huge. Uh, watching him, I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons that he, uh, you know, they were able to go man-to-man. There's a guy who's a veteran guy who sat out last year because of injury, um, was there with the team, you know, trying to provide that leadership while during his injury, but also watching film. Uh, and this is a guy who's long. I mean, he's he's six two, six three, but very long, uh, and and it's tough. I mean, if you're a receiver, you're under six three. Good luck. And you saw the way that he 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 positioned positioned his body there on the sideline and drew that offensive pass interference. Uh, the very next play, they went at him again, uh, and and he came up with a big PBU. So uh, it's huge. And I think once again coming into the season, we knew that with BYU, right? I mean, Chris Wilcox was still nursing his injury, but you had Chris Wilcox's corner. You had Troy Warner a senior at safety. He had Zane Anderson, a senior at safety. Uh, and then, of course, you've heard about all these young kids coming through, including now Micah Harper, the freshman that unfortunately got thrown out because of uh, targeting, which I think is a uh, bogus call. But, uh, you know, I, he's, he's all of a sudden risen up in the last few weeks and played tremendously on the outside of the corner and very physical. So that secondary, that's something that BYU typically we can't say, right? Uh, usually our, our, we don't have the best secondary. And they're, they're not known to be one of the stronger units on the team, but that's how it is this year with that senior leadership, and you've got bona fide athletes back there. So more surprised by young guys stepping up there or more surprised by young guys stepping up at tight end? Well, I mean, Micah Harper is – I love watching him play because he's a kid who's a freshman. He's not afraid to come up in the box and hit. I mean, there's been a couple bubble screen plays, a couple five sweeps where – uh, he comes flying in from this corner position, and he's laying the wood. And it's been fun to watch him uh, come up and, and force the run. Uh, but I'll tell you what, that tight position, I mean, those guys, correct to those guys for stepping up when Matt Bushman went down. Um, and I think they've kind of risen. Isaac Rex, you have, of course, look at, at uh, Mason Wake. I mean, he's kind of that hybrid fullback tight end position. But, um, you know, that, that those guys have stepped up as well. And it's been fun to watch those guys. I mean, you saw Isaac Rex come, up, come down with a big play uh, on that reverse flea flicker back to Zach Wilson uh, that went for a huge gain down towards the goal line. So, um, you know, credit to them, like I said, for stepping up. I mean, that's, that's BYU football, right? You, you've got to have a tight end. That's, that's how the BYU's offense typically works. You've got to have a strong tight end. And when you do, you look at the offenses in the past for BYU, when you have a strong, strong tight end, and obviously the offense can roll from there. Uh, and, and that's what's happened this year. You've got guys that are stepping up. And it's been fun to watch. I mean, this offense is clicking. And here's the thing. The reason it's clicking, you've got a guy in Zach Wilson who is just so far along with, with his mental game, uh, but in the fact that he doesn't miss a lot of reads. And, and he's finding his open receivers, and sometimes their windows are very small, and he's still finding a way to fit the ball in there. I mean, 25 to 35 for 400 yards. Uh, it's impressive. And it's, he's not only is he doing it against Houston, but he's doing it week in, week out. I think that's why now you're seeing the national hype behind him. But. Um, it's, fun, it's fun to see him at quarterback. He's making smart decisions. 12 touchdowns, one interception on the whole season, which is obviously a phenomenal ratio. Usually you want to see four to one, and, and he's obviously well past that. What type of concern do you have on the short yardage situations? Because that wasn't very good. Yeah, it was bad. That was real bad. Um, it was frustrating because when BYU went for the fourth and one on the goal line, they went with uh, – they hit it off to Mason Wake, and he, there was no lead blocker, and they tried to force it inside, as you mentioned, where BYU was not having success. And, and when you go back and watch the film, Houston was doing a good job of submarining. So on the hike of the ball, 
uh, Houston's defenders would just cut out BYU's offensive line's legs. Typically, that's a sign of, listen, I can't beat you straight up man-to-man, so I've got to do something to take your legs out and create a pile here uh, that then my backers can flow and clean up the mess. Uh, and so I, I don't know why BYU tried to continue to stick with that inside run, especially because earlier in the game, Lapini Katoa scored on a touchdown, which is outside stretch play. And so uh, I don't know why they, they felt like they need to go back to the well on that inside play, inside zone, and uh, inside lead. But I would have, if, if you go with that play, just, just get it to Algier, who's a, obviously a strong back, and lead Mason Wake up and get that extra blocker. But don't give it to him, try to catch him off guard. So, uh, you know, later in the game, they went to the outside screen, screen game to Dax Mill, where we've seen where they motion him in. Uh, and then it's just easy, you know, under center, throwing it off to the side, and he prances in for a touchdown. They block it up well. So they started to attack the edges later in the game, but on that, on that one. Uh, series when they kept going back to that inside run and it just didn't work. And it was baffling that that was their play call on fourth down. So, listen, players, there's a lot of things they get to learn. Uh, you know, I watch you film, and I think coaches do the same thing. I think they'll go back and say, listen, that, against Houston in particular, it didn't work. And so, obviously, it's not working against somebody else in the future. we gotta, we got to abort and uh, go another direction. Our defense is going to sell out to stop Dax Mill now, 184 yards. That's just a huge number. I mean, that's the crazy thing about this offense, right? I mean, for the first few weeks, it was Gunnar Romney. we got to sell out to stop, stop Gunnar Romney. And then, of course, Gunnar goes down with a, with a hamstring. Uh, I think he's going to be okay is what we're hearing. But uh, I think it was more of a tweak than a pool. But, uh, you know, you've you got him, and all of a sudden, Dax Mill steps up and goes off uh, for 180-plus yards. And so, uh, you know, I, I think with this offense, and with Zach in particular, the way he's distributing the ball, uh, it's tough to go, you know, focus in on one guy. I mean, I think in this game he had eight different receivers uh, that he that he's able to get the ball to. Uh, and so this goes to show you that, okay, you want to double-team Dax on the outside, great, then I'll find Wake or I'll find Rex um, or I'll find Neil Powell or whoever else is left, right? And I think that was the thing uh, in, in credit to Zach is, is Houston dared BYU to, to throw the ball. And they, they, at certain times, they lined up eight, nine, ten guys in the box. Uh, and going back to your question earlier, um, PK, they, that's what they did on the short yard situation. They had literally ten guys in the box, which is insane. And, of course, BYU had, was in 13 personnel, and they had it in there packed in tight. But uh, still crazy. That's, they're they're you know, trying to dare you to throw the ball. And so now you fast forward to the game, and Dax would have one-on-one on the outside repeatedly and and Zach made him pay that's what you do I mean you watch that you, you watch Dax Milne's release and his route running uh it's pretty spectacular and, and the way that he's able to stack the DB so he he beats him on his release but then he stacks him so the DB's now on his com- completely on his back he's not on his hip but he's on his back uh which allows Dax to really control it he can slow down and create some separation for the ball which is what happened on a third and 15 um and so he's just a savvy route runner and uh you know and, and once again Dak realizing he's got one-on-one on the outside. He has some confidence in Dax. They've got that relationship, as we know. And, uh, and he, he was delivering dimes throughout the night. So it's a tough offense. Yeah, pick your poison right now uh, because if all of a sudden you, you keep two safeties high, uh, then, then you've got a lighter box, and then you start to gash him with the run. So um, right now this offense is clicking. It's, it's pretty fun to watch. So probably collectively over the course of the season, BYU is receiving as much love and attention nationally from, since the, the days of Bronco when he had that phenomenal streak of four consecutive seasons of double-digit wins. And we're discussing scheduling. You know, should they go easy 
or easier anyway, but what does that do for recruiting because kids want to play big-name games, big-name opponents and all that stuff. So I don't know if there's an easy, just definitive black-and-white answer, but what are your thoughts? I think there's a happy medium. I mean, obviously this year, BYU, uh, the schedule they're playing currently is, is not what, at least what I would not want to see moving forward. Uh, for, you know, to be able to scrap all the P5s and just stick with a G5 only type schedule. It is fun to be nationally ranked, but once again, even this year, the whole rankings is funky because, the, you know, the Big Ten and Pac-12 are playing currently. And so, you know, you can't take too much uh, credit into into what that looks like. But I would say there's a happy medium. I, I think playing six, seven, eight P5s is, is a little too much, um, uh, you know, week in, week out. Here's the thing that, that's tough is, Look at Tom Homo. When he scheduled, for example, the Minnesota game this year, obviously he's not being played, but when he did schedule it, Minnesota, and this was six or seven years ago, was just kind of a mid-tier, actually probably lower-tier uh, Big Ten school. But then all of a sudden they get P.J. Fleck, and, and uh, they've got, he often recruits some great players, and next thing you know, they're one of the top-tier Big Ten teams uh, finishing the top 25 last year. And so uh, it's tough from a scheduling standpoint for Tom Homo to go after some of these P5s thinking, okay, well, I'm going to do a couple big powerhouses like the Wisconsin's, USC's of the world. Uh, then I'm going to try to get some Tennessee's in there as well. It's tough because any given year, <laughs> those teams, the, the teams that were bad, can all of a sudden become some of the best teams. And next thing you know, you've, you've made your schedule that much tougher. So I would ideally like to see probably three or four and, and obviously try to space them out, which I know is difficult given the fact that, you know, those guys are going on to have their own conference schedules. But I'd say three or four, and then you, then you get to Boise State and maybe get a couple Cincinnati's, and then you kind of finish it up with some more cupcakes. I mean, I think a well-balanced – a schedule is it because if you abort the whole, if, you know, if you discard the whole P5 schedule, then like you said, uh, you know, the, the kids aren't going to want to come because it's tough to recruit with that. And then second of all, of course, BYU, they want to be in a P5 program. And so uh, you, their whole purpose is to go out there show they can compete with the big boys. And so if you're not, if you don't have those guys on your schedule, then uh, you can't show the country that you deserve to be in a, in a P5 conference. So, You've got to find a happy medium. But I do think seven or eight, guys, you know, P5s a year is, is a little too much. And it's just, it's just too tough for, for, I think, BYU at its current state. I mean, once again, if you get into a P5 conference, uh, then you can start to recruit to that. But in the meantime, you're kind of in this no-man's land, which makes it pretty difficult. What's your sense of BYU fans? Would they show up for the lighter schedule? I mean, this year attendance doesn't really matter. It's limited or there's none at all, and we all understand this is different. But in a quote-unquote normal year, would people show up to see Texas State or UTSA? Hey, as long as you're winning and you're ranked, yes. And I think that's the biggest thing is you've got to go out there and win, right? It's like Al David said, win, baby, win. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You've got to go out there and take care of business. And, and if you are ranked 12th in the country, then you know this week – I, with only 6,000 fans, I think I've talked to a couple of people that have tickets, and they're chomping at the bit to get to the stadium. Uh, and it's Texas State, a one-in-five team, right? So uh, if, you're, if you're winning and taking care of business and you're ranked and you've got that buzz surrounding you, I think people will come out to whatever game is, is there. But if you have a losing record uh, and you're struggling and, you're, and you can't score, as we've seen years past, against Wisconsin at home uh, and, and elsewhere, then, yeah, it's going to be tough to get any type of attendance. So – uh, you just got to win. <laughs> you got to take care of business. And I think, fortunately, I think Kalani's got uh, these guys believing in themselves. And I think he's built uh, the program the way he wants to. I mean, keep in mind this offensive line. We've talked about this offensive line. And, and frankly, a lot of these players, because of the missions, a lot of these kids uh, that Kalani has recruited are just now becoming upperclassmen. And, and these are finally his recruits. 
because it takes time, obviously, for kids to, to work through the system and go on missions, come home, redshirt, gray shirt, whatever it may be, and then finally contribute. So uh, he's, he's finally getting his own guys in the positions he wants them to be in, and, and they're finally having some success. So, um, you know, I, I think for that reason, the program's heading the right direction. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Zach if he leaves after this year. I think Jacob Conover, uh, we, I saw seeing him out there in pregame uh, warming up. He's got a nice cannon. Uh, he looks good. So I think he's kind of the heir to the throne. Uh, Bailey Romney will probably have something to say about that if Zach does leave. But um, I, th- I think they're in, a, in the right spot and in, the right, in a good position I, moving forward. I think they've got some good talent. And um, they're now starting to – we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? You've got a lot of – you had a lot of freshmen on this squad this year or excuse me, a lot of junior seniors that started as freshmen and, and and now they've worked their way through and there were some growing pains with them as younger kids. But now you've got the program where you've got these freshman sophomores that are getting some playing time and garbage time and they're learning. And now when they become upperclassmen, they'll be ready to come in and jump right in and not have to go through those same growing pains. So I think the program's heading in the right direction in that sense. Well, David, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us and we will talk to you again next week. I like it. Sounds good. Take guys. There's David Nixon from BYU TV, former NFL linebacker, former Cougar linebacker. When we come back, our college football insider, Riley Jensen. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. Riley, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How's it going? Good. I'm intrigued by how much, and and you're in the middle of it because you do these Mountain West elite camps, and so coaches want your kind of your perspective as you deal with these guys, especially if you've dealt with them younger and you know their attitudes and you know how they've grown and evolved over time. And I'm curious, just like as much as recruiting is more scientific because there's more film than ever, uh, how much of it is still a roll of the dice? Because Jack Tuttle's getting offers from Utah and USC, and at the same time, Wilson isn't is just driving around trying to find somebody and does well at a camp at Boise State, and then eventually skips that offer and takes the BYU offer. And now, if you could redo things, Tuttle's at multiple schools not playing, and Wilson's showing up top five uh, quarterback in the eyes of NFL teams. So, is recruiting really getting that much better? Was it even a bigger roll of the dice? I, I don't think it's getting that much better. Um, there's there's still a whole bunch of, uh, for lack of a better term, it's, there's a little bit of arrogance on the college level that they know better than high school coaches, right? So there's a little bit of like, look, as long as he's tall enough and as long as he has a strong enough arm, I'm going to be able to teach him how to read defenses better than you guys can, right? So there's a... There's, a, there's still a little bit of that. So there's there's this whole eye test thing. Like, do they pass the eye test? And one of the things that happened with with Zach that I, that I think is maybe one of the reasons why he didn't have 
as many P5 offers as you would have thought that he would have um, coming out of his senior year is he was extremely skinny for all the way up through his junior year. And part of the reason that he was skinny is because he was also playing basketball. And so when he's trying to lift weights where he can put on some of the bulk, he had from, from basically like March to June <laughs> to kind of like bulk up a little bit. And then basketball is playing all summer. Football is playing all summer. And it takes away from your ability to, to kind of work on your body. Well, before his senior year, he quits playing basketball. He puts on not not significant weight, but probably 15, 15 pounds. And it changed everything with him as far as the way that people viewed him. And that's why he got a lot of late offers. But at the quarterback position, most quarterbacks are, are offered and slotted in after their junior year of film. It's, it's not their senior year. And so the coaches are still missing. If you would have asked me, if you would have asked me, like, hey, what do you think about Zach Wilson? I would have told you after his junior year, I'm really surprised he's not getting more offers. But the the feedback or the thought was, like, ooh, I don't know if he can take the hits from a big-time team. I don't know if he has the frame that can handle these things. And it was all false. And it, and, and it's really because to a lot of the coaches, he didn't pass the eye test of being – kind of that physical specimen. Now, he's grown into that, and I think there's some things that that have really helped him. But I think the difference personally between Jack Tuttle and Zach Wilson is sometimes it's good not to get everything handed to you or offered to you right away because if, it, if it's not the right kid, if it's not the Peyton Mannings of the world who, who realize that the work just begins when you get those offers – it can play games with your minds like you like you deserve it or that you're entitled to this, you know, the, the blessing of playing in the NFL. I don't think Zach Wilson has ever had that mentality, nor has he ever been blessed with, you know, all these awards or all these different things. Although on the high school level and in the Utah level, he was pretty much, you know, given everything that you would think. But there's been something there that has always kept him pushing. Like, I can't believe... I didn't get offered by a certain school. I can't believe that the Pac-12 didn't really open up to me. And so I think that works on him, and he thinks about it all the time. And the hard work and the effort that's taken place since he got got to college has probably been much more than some of these other guys that had everything handed to them their whole life. And we're seeing the results of it now. What I find fascinating in terms of talking about the recruitment of these quarterbacks is that some schools will only offer one, and it's like uh, you know you brought up Tuttle, and as we understand it, he wanted Utah, but he didn't want anybody else recruited. Utah says yes. They pass on Zach Wilson. Surely they could have used Zach Wilson in their program, no question. Then you look at SC. Right now, to my knowledge, they've got commitments out to many quarterbacks. They've got commitments from two four-star kids. Uh, this Garcia kid who's now in Georgia from the L.A. area trying to find a place to play. And then they got another commitment there from uh, another kid in California. And then we know they offered the Corner Canyon kid because he's been talking about it on Twitter. Uh, 
what is your philosophy as far as what works best from the college standpoint? Because why do some only say, we're going to stick with you and that's it, even if it means overlooking a kid right down the street? And other programs, well, we'll take two or three or four commitments, and then maybe we decide, well, we're actually only going to sign one or two of them. Yeah, I think I think there's this whole there, there's a real difficulty in in offering and meaning what you say and say what you mean. And I think the University of Utah, you know, they they try to take the high road, they try to do it right, they try to show their commitment to a kid, and it, it obviously didn't work out great. Um, and then you have other places that are like, and and I and I I. I I've been looking at the USC situation just because I know of Jackson Dart and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like, why would they offer Jackson Dart right now? Well, to me, when you start offering more than one kid, it means that you start watching it or you start watching another kid, and you're like, I don't, I actually don't like the guy that we offered as much as the, the new guy that we're offering, and so we're hoping that he'll decommit because we offered this other kid. Now, at USC, that might not work out. You might have to take two guys, or you might have to like make a hard decision and say, well, I know we offered you, but we're now taking that offer off the table. But they can save face by offering a new guy, and everybody going, hey, I thought you were in love with me, and, and USC is kind of like, yeah, I kind of changed my mind. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to date you anymore. And so it's, it's just a really interesting I, – I think coaches are in a little bit – harder situation than than you would think and especially at the quarterback position because these quarterbacks are demanding so much coming out of high school now like like in the situation of jack cuddle we're like well if you offer me and i commit and you offer somebody else then i'm gonna and i'm gonna open my commitment to, to to somewhere else and i'll and i'll leave and it's like okay well i really want i really want this kid like i really like him and i guess i have to play by his rules right now but it, it can lead to you missing somebody like Zach Wilson. But I, I, this is what I'll say that's really interesting, and I have some insight as to you know the recruiting of Cam Cooper, the recruiting of Zach Wilson, and so just take this in general terms. But um, I know for a fact a kid that was offered by almost every school around the country – and, you know, when I talked to Ed Larson, the head coach at Lehigh, about this, he was like, oh, yeah, this is totally true. He said there was only three coaches. And there was, you know, Cam Cooper had, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I want to say he had over 50 major Division One offers, right? He says there was only three schools who really did their homework, who came and, and they said, how is he off the field? How is he... You know, as a teammate, is he about the team or is he about himself? How is his work ethic? How Like, there was only three coaches out of 50 that actually came and did their homework and wanted to know and dig a little bit deeper into the character of the kid. So I think that's really, really ironic in a world where so much weight is put on the quarterback position that there's some schools that aren't really doing um, – their homework they're just playing the me too game oh oh who offered oh yeah we gotta offer him too right and so there's this whole keeping up with the joneses that happens in the ncaa that sometimes causes you to miss and causes you to miss in recruiting and i i 
I'm still not very impressed with recruiting. As, as much as you want to call it scientific, as much as you want to call it, and, you know, I love Gary Anderson's quote. He says, you know, you, if, you're, if you land one out of four recruits, you're a terrible recruiter, and if you land two out of four, you're an unbelievable recruiter. And so the, the threshold for being a good recruiter is two out of the four will pan out for you. And I, and I think that's interesting. I think that just shows that it's still a little bit of a difficult situation. And unless you're really able to do your homework on every kid, it's difficult. Ronnie Jensen, our college football insider, joining us. So uh, Zach Wilson's putting up huge numbers, looking good. Some of it's got to be the competition, right? I mean, certainly the competition isn't what it was expected to be. But at the same time, you see draft lists, and man, he is top five in multiple draft lists. So clearly NFL people are seeing something they like, regardless of the competition. What are you seeing in all of that? And are you surprised when you see him pop up in a top five? I've seen him fifth in one, second in another. Uh, I'm not surprised from the sense that Zach's a football rat. Like, this guy has wanted to be a quarterback for a long time. He looks like a quarterback. He talks like a quarterback. He acts like a quarterback. But here's here's where I'll say that NFL guys are looking at it and going, oh, geez, right? So there's – there's certain times where he'll roll out of the pocket and he'll make a throw that I don't care if it's Alabama, I don't care who it is, he, he can make the throw, right? And then there's just, there's that, there's there's the swagger, there's, you know, I always talk about, like, if I were to, like, cut the rest of the TV off and i just look at the quarterback, I can almost tell whether it's a completion just by his body language and the way that he attacked the throw, um, without even looking at the throw, you can almost go, oh, yeah, that's a completion. Oh, no, that's not a completion. And I don't know what the body language is when I look at it, but Zach has that body language that almost every single time he throws the ball, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's going to be a completion. Oh, that's a completion. The body language tells me that's a completion. And as a result, it's up near 80% in completions, which is just off the chain good. I don't care what level of football that is. And I know that the schedule has not been um, fantastic, but he's doing all the things that a great quarterback would do against lesser competition. Now, I will say this. We'll say this. Dax Milne, um, some of these receivers, Gunnar Romney, you know, the tight ends, Mason Wake, these guys are also reminding me a lot of the BYU teams of old where they catch everything. I mean, yes, this is not to take away from Zach at all, but I think we got to give a little bit of credit, you know, to to the coaching down there, to Coach Sataki, the wide receivers coach, and to this wide receiver core. I mean, there's catches by Dax Milne. I mean, I know it seemed like a little thing, but they did a little crossing route over the middle last game. It was way behind him. He reaches his hand back, just catches the tip of the ball, and gets him nine yards and a completion without anyone even hardly saying anything on TV and – and, I mean, uh, Andre Ware, all he's ever going to talk about is freaking Zach Wilson. But I'm starting to notice how good this wide receiver core is and how great of catches they actually make. And I think it would be really fun to play with, with this receiving core. They remind me of the, the Andy Boyces, the Eric Drages, the Bryce Domans of the past that run really, really good routes and they catch everything. And as a quarterback, I've, I know I've talked about this with you guys before, when I was throwing to Kevin Curtis at Snow College, 
his catching radius was off the charts. Like he could catch, I mean, within 12 feet of him, he was going to catch the ball. And all of a sudden, as a quarterback, it makes you more confident. And all of a sudden, I start throwing the ball on the money to Kevin Curtis because I know that I don't have to be perfect. And that's what happens with these wide receivers is you don't have to be perfect to Dax Milne or Gunnar Romney or some of these guys that are catching the ball for you. And all of a sudden, you start putting everything on the money because there's no pressure to be perfect. And so I, I just wanted to give a little bit of a you know acknowledgement to this wide receiver core because they've been very good. They've been very solid, and I think that helps Zach Wilson to, to throw an even higher percentage than maybe he would have in the past. Knowing what you know of DJ Riley, do you think he would prefer a PBU or a PB&J? <laughs> Listen, I'm in no position to, to criticize people who like PB&Js. But I think, a kid. Like I think we all love... <laughs> I think we all love a PBU. We all love a PBU. <laughs> I'll tell you this right now. And this is critical. And I'm not kidding about this, despite the fact PK's, PK's if it's peanut butter and jelly, I'm out. If it's peanut butter and jam, I'm in. The jelly oh, is strained and has no fruit chunks. I'm about think, the jam. I- you know what? I, I think this is this is a serious conversation. Dang right it what is. What I want to do is I want to I, I want to add a little flavor to you. Like, what, what do you think about peanut butter and honey? Negative. 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 You're negative. It's Didn't a no go. No, I decided peanut butter and honey a long time ago. Mom got all healthy and tried to hook me on that when I was ten. Dad came oh, in, grabbed the strawberry jam, <laughs> slathered it on the bread. When you squeeze the sandwich, I don't want a big gob coming out of my hand. That's gross. But I want a little bit leaking around the side. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm with you with the peanut butter and jelly, but I'd probably go a little bit of peanut butter and honey sandwich every once in a while. Ma, is it World War II? You're just changing the color of the bread. Let's put a little jam on there. Come on now. Wow. No, I had to hear My parents were just old enough I heard about rationing during World War II. Stop it already. We all heard about it. Oh, my gosh. But, but, dude, I didn't know peanut butter and honey was a rationing thing. It tastes pretty good. No, that's a health food thing. That was mom just trying to get super healthy with me. Dad's like, yeah, a few grams of sugar, whatever. Here. Have some jam. Add a kid, Dad. Add a kid. Cobs of it coming out of my hand. No, no, that's gross. gross. That's gross. I don't want that. That's gross. It's not... It's disgusting. Oh my god! But a little bit so, leaking out the side—that's no big deal. So one more question. One yeah. more question: Creamy peanut butter or chunky peanut butter? Chunky, obviously. Oh Please. man, good call. Good call, man. You're <laughs> not you're creamy to my nonsense. Heart. Oh yeah, <laughs> discuss this with my chunky wife. Chunky for DJ seems appropriate, doesn't yeah, it, Riley? That a kid, fat humor. Thank you, body shaming. <laughs> All right. Wow. Yeah. I'm in the peanut butter. Whatever. Wow. I don't think you did. Wow, that's your that's your wow, mistake. PK. Yep. There it is. Awesome. Uh, for him to eat, eat chunky, that's all. I mean, you guys extrapolate in areas that are not intended. Shame on you. I'm all about the chunky <laughs> peanut butter. All right, there it is. We broke down the peanut butter and jam and the quarterback play at BYU, and somehow they go together like peanut butter and jam. Not jelly, jam. All right, thank you, Riley. We appreciate it. 
<laughs> Thanks, guys. Love right. being on your show. There's our college football insider, Riley Jensen, joining us every week. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, the World Series update. Stay with us.